Please take your Bibles, turn with me to the book of Ephesians chapter 5. This morning we begin a a four-part mini-series on the theme of stewardship. We start out by looking at the question of time and our relation to it. We'll be looking at two texts, as you'll see, they are very similar. Uh, We begin in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 15 through 17. This is God's word. Paul writes, Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Now flip over to Colossians chapter 4, reading verses 5 and 6. Paul writes, Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Amen. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Let's pray again and ask him to help us as we study his word. Our Father, this may be the last sermon I preach. This may be the last sermon that one of us hears. Or we do not know how much more time we have on this earth. And so we ask that you would grant to us ears that hear, hearts that receive the truth, wills and affections that love it and desire to do it. Oh God, we pray that you would give us grace to redeem the time. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Gather ye rosebuds while ye may. Old time is still a-flying. And this same flower that smiles today, tomorrow will be dying. Those words are the first stanza of a poem by the 17th century poet Robert Herrick entitled To the Virgins to Make Much of Time. You may recall that in the movie Dead Poet Society, Robin Williams' character John Keating had his students read that stanza just before he tells them to go up to the trophy case and to look at the pictures of all the students who had gone before them. These students were already dead, and he tells them that the boys in these pictures are now fertilizing daffodils. And he tells the boys that are there present that they too one day will stop breathing and will become food for worms. It's a powerful scene. And you may recall that the Latin phrase that that summarizes what Herrick's poem is all about is that Latin phrase, carpe diem. As our CCS students will be singing newsies this spring, seize the day. Paul in our passages this morning, puts it like this, redeem the time, make the most of the opportunity, make the best use of your time, your short time that you have in your fleeting life here on earth. This morning, I want us to think about Paul's exhortation to us about how we approach our time and what we do with our time. But first, 
we need to remember what stewardship is. You've probably often heard that word. You've perhaps heard of stewardship campaigns and stewardship seasons. And most often uh, they typically focus upon uh, encouraging generous giving, right? And that's not an inappropriate use of the word stewardship, of course, because we are called to be good stewards of the financial resources that God has entrusted to us. And we'll get there. But that's just one aspect of stewardship. What is a steward? A steward in times past, particularly in the times in which the Bible was written, uh, was the crucial servant in a large estate, a large household. The, the steward was essentially the, the chief administrator, the chief manager, the chief of staff. Right? He was the one that the master, the owner of the house would entrust all of his belongings to, all of his resources to, so that he might manage all of the master's affairs that he might provide for all of the other staff in the household, the food and the things that they need to do their callings. Even our own day, don't we? We call uh, female flight attendants sometimes stewardesses. Why? Because they're managing the passengers. They're providing food and drink to the passengers. The essential point is that what the steward has, what the steward has at his or her disposal is not the steward's. It's the masters, the owners, it belongs to him. And it's been entrusted to the steward for use. And as Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 2, and, and as Jesus tells us in Luke 12, verse 42, and even the parable that Pastor Dean read this morning, what's required of a steward is to be faithful and sensible, trustworthy and wise in the use of what has been entrusted to you. And so over the next four weeks, we're going to think about what it looks like to be faithful and sensible stewards in regard to our time, in regard to our relationships, in regard to our money, our wealth, and in regard to our spiritual gifts. This morning, I want us to do three things. I want us to answer three questions. First, I want us to consider what does it mean to redeem the time? Secondly, I want us to see why Paul tells us to redeem the time. And finally, I want to seek to make some practical application for the 168 hours that you will have this week. Or if you sleep eight hours a night, that goes back down to 112 hours. And if you happen to work eight hours a day, that goes down to 56 hours. How are you going to spend that 56 hours this week? So first, what does it mean to redeem the time? The word that Paul uses here, you don't actually see the word redeem, do you? But that's the word behind making the most of the opportunity, making the best use of the time. The word that he uses is a word taken from the marketplace. It essentially means to buy. It can refer to what God has done for us in Jesus Christ. In Galatians chapter 3, three and 4, this very word is used as Paul refers to how God in Jesus Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law. That is, he has bought us back from our lost, our indebted condition. To redeem is to liberate, to rescue by the payment of a price. But, but when the verb here is used with a noun, time, it carries a different connotation. Interestingly, we, we find this very phrase that's used here in Ephesians and Colossians, also used in the Greek translation of Daniel chapter two, verse eight. You remember how Nebuchadnezzar had a dream and he sends to his magicians and he says, I want you to tell me the dream and tell me its interpretation. And so they send back to him and they say, well, if you tell us the dream, we'll tell you the interpretation. Because right? they don't know what the dream was and they really don't know what the interpretation is, right? And Nebuchadnezzar says, I know what you're doing here. 
You're just trying to buy time, to gain time. Isn't it fascinating that that little idiom, to buy time, existed some 580 years before Jesus even showed up on the earth? Well, here in our passage, this word to redeem, to buy, has the sense of, of buying up, buying out. One of the things I, I love, it's a strange thing, but I love white grapefruit juice. Not ruby red, the sweet grapefruit juice, the sour, the sourest, right, white grapefruit juice. Unfortunately, it's like me and a hundred other people that must love white grapefruit juice because you can't find it anywhere any longer. You can't even find white grapefruits for me to juice my own. What you find is only the ruby red. And, and they do make, let, let's say, Ocean Spray makes this little bitty Gatorade bottle worth of white, pure white grapefruit juice. But it's like five bucks for this little bottle. And, and they do make a bigger bottle that's blended, right? It's a picture of the red and the white. You're like, no, I just want the white. Right? But it's also $5. $5. I'm not going to pay $5 for grape juice. But every once in a while, usually around this time when it's like the season, the price drops to two ninety nine, right? And so you'll see my grocery cart loaded up with like every white grapefruit juice or blended grapefruit juice that's on the shelf. I'm going to buy it out. I'm going to buy it up. Why? Because it's finally worth it to me right, to own. That's the sense of the phrase here. Paul wants you to snap up every possible opportunity that you have. He wants you to buy up the entire stock of time while you have it while it lasts, right? He wants you to make the best of, to, to make the most of, to make full use of your time, to see your opening and to take it, to capitalize on it, to take advantage of it, to exploit it to the fullest. We have all sorts of phrases, don't we, for this sentiment? We've already referred to one, carpe diem, seize the day. But how about strike while the iron is hot, right? No one wants to strike while the iron is cold, Make hay while the sun shines, we say. Cash in on this chance of a lifetime. Or in the words of Lin-Manuel Miranda's Hamilton, I'm not going to throw away my shot. Right? We, we get this. Redeeming the time, therefore, it's the third string quarterback who gets to come off the bench because the first and the second string quarterbacks got hurt. And the coach tells him, here's your chance to shine. Show him what you've got. Show him what you're made of. And he throws four touchdowns and wins the game. He's redeeming the time. It's happening to be at Costco or Walmart during COVID when they're bringing out the, the pallets of toilet paper and you just happen to be there, right? You're going to redeem the time and get as much as you can. It's making sure you launch your rocket to Mars in the little bitty window you have every 26 months. Oh, you missed it? Oh, wait for the next 26 months. We are called to make the most of every opportunity that comes our way, but not just the, the rare occasions, the rare opportunities. Paul here is referring to all the time that God has given us here on earth. We are to use it all wisely. Notice that in both passages where Paul is speaking of redeeming the time, he directly connects it to wisdom, doesn't he? Ephesians 5, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise but as wise, making the best use of the time. Colossians 4, he says, walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. So what does it mean to redeem the time? It means to live wisely in regard to the time that has been allotted to you by God. You're children of light. You used to be darkness, Paul says right before in Ephesians 5. You're children of light. You're seeking to discern 
what is pleasing to the Lord. You're seeking to understand what the revealed will of the Lord Jesus is and what it looks like in your life to obey him. To redeem the time means to be careful and thoughtful and deliberate and intentional about how you spend your time. As careful as a trim carpenter might be as he makes every single cut. Because he wants it to be right. He wants it to look right. To redeem the time means not to approach the time haphazardly, thoughtlessly, carelessly, wasting it, frittering it away, squandering opportunities, losing chances. To redeem the time means that you see all the time you have here on earth as a gift from God that he wants you to use faithfully and sensibly for his glory, not for your own selfish purposes. Think about it. If you live 80 years, that's 960 months. That's 4,160 weeks, 29,200 days plus sleep days. That's not a lot of time, is it? That's not a lot of time. And, And yet it's the time the Lord has given to you to use for his glory. If, if you are a believer here this morning, then you are not your own. You have been bought with a price. You have been redeemed with the price of Jesus's blood. And what that means is that your time is not your own. That's why God calls you to redeem it, to make the most of it for his glory and for the good of those around you. And that brings us to the second question I want you to, to think about this morning. Why does Paul tell us to redeem the time? Now, we could give lots of different answers to this question, but I want to to give you one implicit answer and two explicit answers that Paul mentions here in the text. First, the implicit answer. It's not mentioned in the text. It's implied. It's assumed. Why? Because it's all over the Bible. We must redeem the time because the time is short. The time is short. One day you are going to die. You're going to die. It was in God's providence fitting that uh, this sermon was preached this weekend. I turned 48 on Friday. Mike Nicewinger's funeral was Friday. Yesterday was my aunt's funeral in Dadeville, Alabama. Thinking a lot about death and aging, which is good. It's good to be reminded that the time is short because time is the ultimate scarce resource, the ultimate limited resource. It's the most precious commodity at all because you cannot make more of it. Everyone has the exact same 24 hours in the day as everyone else. What did the Steve Miller band say? Time keeps on slipping, slipping into the future. It keeps on passing. And once it is passed, you cannot recover it. You cannot get it back. Perhaps you've heard of that economic principle, Tanstaffel, T-A-N-S-T-A-A-F-L. There ain't no such thing as a free lunch, right? Well, that applies specifically invest to time. Everything costs time. Everything you do has an opportunity cost. That is to spend time over here, to choose to do one thing with your time over here, you're foregoing an opportunity to use that time for something else. Time is a zero sum game. If you spend your time here, you have less of it to spend over here. Time is short. And we have sayings to this effect also, don't we? Right. Where did the time go? Tempest fugit, time flies. Another saying that goes all the way back thousands of years to Virgil, the poet before Jesus. Solomon, even before that, in Ecclesiastes 11, verse 10, says it plainly, childhood and the prime of life are fleeting. Or as James puts it in James 4, what is your life? 
You are but a mist, a vapor, a cloud that appears for a little while and then vanishes. And because time is short, we must seize it. We must seize each fleeting opportunity that comes our way, each minute, each hour of every day. So that's the implicit answer as to why we must redeem the time. But there's two explicit answers. First, in Ephesians 5, Paul tells us to make the best use of the time because the days are evil. If the shortness of time didn't create enough urgency for you, Paul says you live out your brief life in perilous times. Paul has already told the Ephesians in chapter 2 that Satan, the prince of the power of the air, is at work in the sons of disobedience. He's going to tell us in chapter 6 how we need to put on the whole armor of God to stand against the schemes of the devil, the spiritual forces of evil. He tells us that the children of darkness do the deeds of darkness. You see, God's people have always lived in evil days. We've always been beset by temptations and enticements to sin, to waste time, to fritter away the time. Satan has always dangled distractions before our hearts. The world has always sought to pull us away from God. We live in a moral climate, and it's always been this way. It is evil. And oftentimes, it's not clear is it where the path of holiness lies and, and what it looks like to serve the Lord in our day? But we who once were darkness, but are now light in the Lord, we are called by God not to fear the evil days, but to be careful, to understand God's will, to discern what is pleasing to him in every moment, to walk as children of light, making wise choices about how to use our time to do what is good and right and true. So that's the, the first explicit reason that Paul gives us. The second one is in Colossians 4. He says, walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of your time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Paul calls us to redeem the time because while we live in evil days, God has given us a mission, a purpose, a calling. We are to seek to bring those who are in darkness into the light. We are God's instruments to bring the outsiders inside. And so we want to redeem the time, not just so that we would not live in a way that would hinder those who are lost from being found, but also Paul is saying we want to take hold of every possible opportunity that comes our way to speak the word of God with boldness and with grace with words seasoned with salt, not dull and bland, right? but appropriate and fitting words that compel interest, that are attractive, that, uh, that awaken the spiritual taste buds, as it were. You've ever opened up a, a bigger bottle of Tony Sacheries, right? Just your sinuses are clear immediately. Right? And, and, and Paul is saying, our words ought to be compelling, attractive, awakening, and then you notice in Colossians 4, at the beginning of the chapter, Paul is, has just asked for prayer for his own preaching and teaching. Right? Paul was engaging in direct evangelism. But here in Colossians 4, 5, and 6, he's referring to a little more indirect, right? Responsive evangelism. That is, he, he assumes that you're going to be around unbelievers and they're going to be asking you questions. 
And he says, I want your, your speech to be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you might know how to answer each person. We are called by God, yes, in some situations, to, to speak directly and publicly, but more often than not, you're going to be called to give a reason, an answer for the hope that's in you, for the life that you live. And Paul wants you to make the most of every opportunity, to redeem the time. One of the best illustrations I've seen of this recently was this past summer. If you haven't seen this video, go home this afternoon and, and Google it. It's of the, the Oklahoma women's softball team. It's a press conference during the College World Series this past summer. And, and a reporter asks a question and, and he says, so how do y'all keep the joy of the game in the midst of all the pressures? How does that not lead you to anxiety? And immediately this Young lady from the Oklahoma softball team says this, the only way that you can have a joy that doesn't fade away is from the Lord. And any other type of joy is actually just happiness based on circumstances and outcomes. And it only gets better from there. Go and watch all five minutes of the video. Now, who knows who heard that video? I'm sure the, 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 the reporter wasn't expecting that answer, right? Who knows who heard that video, watched that video, was even converted or was strengthened in their faith. God calls us to redeem the time because we are always living amongst outsiders. And we're called to make the most of every opportunity to bring them in. So how do we redeem our time? I just want to give us several practical thoughts about how we can grow in this grace. Kind of stream of consciousness. But here goes, I, I, I encourage you first to, to take time, even this afternoon, to, to write down, to think about and to write down what you are already doing, what you need to be doing, what you know you need to be doing, and what you want to be doing right, with the time that God has given you. Figure out how much of your time is not already spoken for, right, by your obligations and responsibilities, and ask yourself, be honest, hold the word of God before you and say, Am I making the best use of this time? Am I being a faithful and a sensible steward of the time allotted to me? Some of you, as you walk through that exercise, you will realize that you are actually being very lazy. You're procrastinating. Right? And you need to seek diligence before the face of God. Others of you, though, perhaps may realize that you're making an idol out of productivity, out of accomplishing things, of getting things done. And you need to redeem the time by resting by focusing upon your relationship with the Lord, with your family, with your friends. I also want to encourage you to consider sort of the low-hanging fruit of redeeming the time. That is your mornings, your commutes, your lunches, your evenings. How do you spend that time? In the morning, do you spend time in the Word? Or maybe for you it's not the morning, it's the commute, or it's lunchtime, or it's evening. Any of those times, do any of those times, are they filled with the Word? of God and with prayer. I wonder if you spend more time in the morning getting your hair and your face and your body ready for the day than you do getting your heart ready for the day before the Lord's face and his word. Or think about your time in the car. You may not have a long commute, but how do you use those minutes in the car? Do you redeem that time? What do you listen to? If you have children that you're bringing to carpool, I can't strongly encourage enough the little resource that John Kwasney has just published called Road Talk. It's just Bible verses and questions that help you as a parent 
to engage your children with the word of God. We've been using it a little bit ourselves. It's been such a neat thing to, to see both the eagerness and uh, the, the, the engagement that can come right, from just asking questions. Deuteronomy 6, as you drive about the way, teaching your children. Or think about your lunches. Are you deliberate about who you eat with? There's a book I remember seeing the title once, Never Eat Alone. Right? Don't know if the guy was a Christian or not, and he probably was a businessman who wanted to make a lot of money. Hey, but... The point is so important. Don't eat alone. Eat with the unbeliever that's in your office. Hey, let's go to lunch. Let me get to know you. Let me seek to have a spiritual conversation with you, to know you better, that I might see how to apply the gospel to you. Or eat with the believer. Be iron, sharpening iron with that brother or that sister. How to use your evenings. This can look all sort of different ways depending on the way that your life is already. Is it time with your wife and your children that you need to be spending it with? Is it time reading, time communicating with old friends? Is it time developing a new skill, time just resting your body from a long day? Redeem the time each evening. I encourage you to read books on this topic. Our own John Parrott has written a book, Your Days Are Numbered. I commend it to you. Go and Google Richard Baxter, an old Puritan from the 1600s. His directions for redeeming the time are priceless. You will be overwhelmed by them. You'll be convicted by them. You'll think, I don't even know if I'm a Christian, right? But go and Google them and find them and meditate upon them. If you need like practical help, uh, David Allen's getting things done. He's not a Christian, but he has great advice. There's a, a Christian who took what he said and put it in the sort of Christian language and context, a guy named Matt Perman, what's best next? There are all sorts of books that can help you to think about redeeming the time. Think about your meal times as a family, if you have kids, or even if you don't have kids, you and your wife, you and your husband, how do you spend those meal times? Do you sit down to eat meals together, to talk with one another? Do you put the phones away? and communicate with one another. How important the mealtime is. The Sabbath day, how do you use the Lord's day, both individually and as a family? And so often over my years as a pastor, I've heard people lament that they don't have enough time to spend in the word and prayer. And I'm always a little skeptical because it's like, well, we all have the same amount of time. You do what you want to do and you're spending your time in different ways than perhaps you want to spend your time or that, that you should be spending your time. But here's the thing, even if there is legitimacy to like, I don't have enough time, the Lord has given you one day in seven, different from all the rest, where you can read your scriptures to your heart's content. Read the Christian books that you wish you had time to read during the week. Do you exploit that fact? Do you take advantage of this day? Do you make the most of the Lord's day with your kids? Do you spend time reading with them the scriptures, praying with them, teaching them, discipling them? Memorizing scripture, memorizing the catechism. Is it a different day for you? Are you redeeming this day? Are you using it up as God has ordained it to be used? Think about how much time you spend on social media, or we might say how much time you waste on social media. Cal Newport, who wrote the book Deep Work, also wrote a book named Digital Minimalism. And he recommends that you Take your social media apps, Instagram and X and Facebook and TikTok and Pinterest, all that. Take it off your phone and just have it there on the desktop, the laptop. It won't be as, as comfortable. You can't you know, watch it in the tub or in the, can't scroll in your favorite chair, but perhaps you don't need to spend as much time 
scrolling. Those of you who are retired or about to retire, how are you going to spend this time? How are you going to use this season of life in which you have more time at your disposal than you did since you were in college? Will you use it for the glory of God, for the good of his people, for the salvation of the lost? Here's a really practical one. Get yourself a watch that ticks really loudly. We got this watch, realized pretty quickly, whoa, it's a loud ticking watch. Elizabeth said, you can't have that watch in our bedroom at night. Like it has to stay outside the room because it's too loud. But here's the thing I've realized, a loud watch reminds you that one day you're going to die. Every second that you hear ticking on your watch is another second closer to the final second of your life. Put it somewhere where you can stop and listen and hear the seconds tick away, not to be a despairing hearing, but an encouragement to you, an exhortation to redeem the seconds that God has given to you. Jonathan Edwards, the great American Puritan, put it like this, resolved never to lose one moment of time, but to improve it in the most profitable way I possibly can. If you have a loud ticking watch or clock and you pause and you stop to listen, it will remind you of how important it is to use up all the time that God has given you. And as I said earlier, take every opportunity that you have to speak about your Savior. You may not ever have the public platform that those young ladies from Oklahoma softball had, but all of us need to be looking out for, creating, seeking to create, seeking and praying for opportunities so that we might testify of God's goodness and grace. Last night, I had the privilege of of speaking for a few five to 10 minutes at my uh, aunt's celebration of life. It was sort of a wedding reception for a funeral in a sense. And then we stopped in the middle and we sang a couple songs and I, uh, I preached a little homily to family and friends gathered. And you think, well, of course you're a preacher. Like that's what you do. You're gonna get asked to do that for all your aunts and uncles. And you're right, that's gonna happen, I'm sure. But here's the thing, at every church I've been at, someone in that church has come up to me and said, hey, I've been asked to speak at my aunt's funeral. What am I gonna say? What an amazing opportunity. It's not just the pastor, right? That's gonna have opportunities and platforms to say a few words about Jesus and about the gospel. And even if you don't ever get or want to speak publicly at a family gathering, if you live as a Christian in this world, you're gonna have some opportunity to bear witness to the power of the gospel, to the hope of the gospel, to the grace of the gospel, whether at home, whether at work, whether at play, at the tailgate, at the hunting camp, at the family reunion, in the stands, somewhere, whether in good times or in bad times, carpe diem, right? Seize the day, make the most of every opportunity for the glory of God. Two more things. Turn back to Philippians chapter one. I want you to hear Paul's prayer because the most important thing that you can do, or one of them, these two are go together. The most important thing you can do is to pray for the Lord to give you wisdom, to know how to discern what is the best use of your time. And listen to how Paul prays here in verses nine and following. It is my prayer, he says, that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent, what is best. Lord, 
Help me to know what is the best use of this afternoon, of this morning, of tonight, of this weekend. Give me wisdom, give me discernment, give me insight, give me a love for you and for my family and for the lost so that I will know what is the best use of this moment. And even those surprising moments that you don't expect and they come, Lord, help me to take advantage of those. Pray. And finally, remember the gospel of Jesus Christ all the fleeting days of your life. Because here's the thing. You are not going to redeem the time perfectly. You haven't. You won't. In the future, you're certainly not doing it now. We're sinners Every single one of us waste our father's time. Every single one of us will give an account for the ways that we have done that. And our hope on that last day, as we stand before the judgment seat of Christ, is that Jesus never wasted one moment of his life. Jesus never did anything unwisely. He redeemed every opportunity, all the time that his father had given him. And then... He died on the cross to redeem us from our laziness, from our time wasting, from our careless and thoughtless distractions, from our lack of courage and evangelism. Jesus died to deliver us from the penalty of sin. But as you remember the gospel of Jesus, the good news, the death of Jesus, do not forget what Paul says in Titus 2.14. Jesus Christ gave himself for us to redeem us from every lawless deed and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, zealous for good deeds. And one of those good deeds is redeeming the time that God has given us. This is the gospel story that Jesus saves us from the penalty of sin, the power of sin, the practice of sin. And one day when time is no more, the very presence of sin that's the gospel story that we want to share with the lost, that we want to share with ourselves so that we might avoid both pride and passivity, legalism and lawlessness, particularly as it comes to this, as it relates to this thing of time. May God be gracious to help us to redeem the time. Let's pray. Father, you know us inside and out. Lord, we confess how foolish we are when it comes to the use of our time. But Lord, we thank you that your spirit is at work within us and that you even use this time we've had in your word to convict us, to show us our need of a savior. Show us, oh Lord, our need to make up for all that lost time in the past. So Lord, we pray that you would give us grace to make full use and best use of the time. Lord, thank you for another day of life. Lord, help us, we pray, to use it for your glory, not for our own selfish ends, but for the good of those around us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.